0: Cat's at night. Now here is John Katzmattides. This is John Katzmattides. This is Cat's at night, the number one show at five o'clock. And what a what a day for stories today! And uh, we have some
1: breaking news. WABC. Uh,
0: I understand. Uh, looks like Jay Powell, uh, as I uh, yelled and screamed about yesterday morning when I was on Fox has blinked, and it looks like in December. Maybe he won't put the country out of business that fast. In December, that he has blinked and may not go to 75 basis points on interest rate hikes, and that's good news for the real estate industry if we're going to survive and
1: uh That's important news. Uh, What do you think, uh, Ed? Uh, Look, he's already increased interest rates faster than we've done in 40 years and higher than has done in a short period of time than in 40 years. And what it means is that we're due for a big recession coming up in the next three to six months. Well, America
0: doesn't want a recession. So you know what I said on Fox yesterday? At NYU, I read Samuelson's book on the economy from 50 years ago. And me and you are close in age. Yes, you the same. <laughs> no,
1: I, I read the Samuelson also. I was brought this, up there. This is this is a different world, yeah. and some more. Breaking news: WABC,
0: big shakeup in the NYPD. A lot of people are being pushed out. That's what we hear. Uh, we're going to have more details as we find out. And uh, um, these are leadership roles, correct? Leadership roles. A lot of people being pushed out. And um, we want to know uh, know. big shakeup. uh, uh, Judge Weinberg, we
2: want to know two things. Why is this happening and what does it mean for the future safety of this city?
3: And this is a reliable source who told you, correct, John? Very reliable
0: source. And it's been confirmed. Wait, what's the old rule? Confirm it with two reliable sources. That's exactly right. So uh, I guess uh, we'll, we'll start to know maybe may t- late tonight or tomorrow morning exact details. And, but a lot of people are getting, how do you say, the hatchet. Mm. And um, we'll see what, what happens. Now we have a, uh, another a good friend of ours. Former
3: uh, Congressman Martin Frost. He was a Democratic representative to the U.S. House of Representatives for Texas and their 24th congressional district. Uh, welcome to Cats at Night, sir.
4: Well, good to be with you. John's an old friend.
3: Yep, yep.
0: We know each other at least twenty, thirty years. And uh, at uh, least. <laughs> uh you know, you you're a Texan. Uh your your uh, mother and father were in a department store business. You were a congressman. Right. Now Texas um well, how do you call it? Texas tea oil and uh, well, it's, it's very important to the state's economy always has been and you, you saw i was yelling and screaming yesterday on fox and and i was uh, telling people that uh, how do, how can we buy uh, oil from venezuela when we, we have all the oil you want in, in the United States and all the energy we want in the United States, Canada, Alaska, uh, and Ed Cox, you, you yeah. were a, a, board member of a, a big, noble, uh, global co- energy. energy. You bet,
1: you bet. And uh, uh, Congressman, you were responsible for getting rid of the oil export ban. How do we ever have a ban on the export of oil? And how did you get rid of it? Well, he must have been well, really it, good.
4: It, 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 it was passed during the Nixon administration, and it just oh, hung oh, on. Oh, oh, I don't know why oh. they did it, quite frankly. But it took us forty years to get it repealed. I was uh, after I left Congress. I was doing some lobbying for Harold Hamm. I know he's a friend of yours, John. He's a good and, guy, Harold. Uh, he was. Created fracking. For stu- he was the moving force to get that ban repealed, and we worked it out on a bipartisan basis. This was in uh, 2015. I don't think that you can do much on a bipartisan basis anymore, but there was this was classic Washington deal making, which is not bad, quite frankly. Uh, there was an arrangement between the Democratic leadership. Um, and the Republican leadership uh, to uh, put together a package. And they got rid of this ban on the export of crude oil. Um, and they, they, in exchange for that, uh, they were able to offer the environmentalists something they were interested in. They got uh, some tax credits for uh, wind and solar. Now, we can't do it, provide all of our energy. And That's 40 years ago.
0: You guys got, got in trouble with wind and solar down in Texas, I understand.
4: Well, all I can tell you is it was uh, it was a big fight, but we got it done. And, you know, you saw in the news uh, uh, yesterday or today that the administration has approved Biden administration administration's approved a new oil export terminal for the Texas Gulf Coast to uh, export uh, crude oil. And that's going to that's going to add two million barrels a day of new export capacity. I mean, this is really
0: good news. It's not
4: just good news. For Texas, But, but what good country. is it if
0: we don't open up the, uh, the spigots in North America?
4: Well, we have been, as you know, uh, our friend Harold Hamm uh, played a big role in this by uh, uh, doing uh, horizontal drilling and, uh, uh, and fracking, and uh, he developed a uh, big field up in North Dakota, and uh, we've uh, gotten to the point where we almost now export, excuse me, produce as much uh, as we need here in the United States. We import very, very little anymore.
1: Well, I, that, I know back except in— Except
4: for our foreign policy. Because, you know, the, the Russians are uh, trying to do us in by uh, using oil and gas, uh, particularly natural gas, as a weapon. And we need to counteract that. We need to do well, everything And Saudi
0: Arabia has threatened to cut. Uh, Goldman Sachs has reported that Saudi Arabia is again threatening to lower uh uh, production, production again. What say you? Yeah, that was
4: well. I say that I'm not a big fan of the Saudis to start with. Remember those people who flew those planes into the towers in New York? Those were Saudis, mm. and I, I, I don't trust the Saudis at all. I know we want to cozy up to them uh, for some other foreign policy reasons, but we can't count on them. We need to do everything we can to produce as much in the United States of both oil and gas as possible. And uh, people like pioneers like Harold Hamm have made that possible. And uh, we do, we now produce a lot more than we used to, and being able to have an export market makes it even better for the people who want to go out and explore for oil and gas in the United States, because they can borrow money if they can show that uh, they can uh, uh, produce a lot more and there's a ready market for it overseas in addition to here in the United States. This is one of the best foreign policy weapons we've got, is to use our energy resources to counteract the Russians.
1: Well I remember when you got rid of that ban I think there's a big glut because of all everything noble and others were doing in the Permian basin and uh, some of it wasn't really uh, justified financially we saw so there's a big glut in 14 wasn't there at that time well, I,
4: well I, I don't know what was going on with uh, exactly then i just know that uh, uh that we were producing more and more as and it was because of the pioneer work of some very creative people um to use uh, new technology uh to uh, uh so that we could produce as much from shale as possible here in the united states and it made uh, it made us a stronger country and uh, you know I, it's up to the bankers to uh, uh, to uh, exercise caution and not to finance, not to loan money to deals that are too risky. But uh, as long as we have a market here in the United States, which we do, for all we can produce, and we can produce and use that to sell that to uh, friends around the world, uh, I hope our bankers will be prudent and only uh, support those uh, businesses that make sense.
1: well not only were we energy independent uh, we we were producing more oil than Saudi Arabia or Russia right at the time and it's about uh, time we export that's some. That's-
4: Yes, that's correct. And, uh, we're, you know, I, I've been a big supporter of free trade uh, my entire career. And there are some people who, uh, who don't want us to engage in free trade. They don't want to make our products available for, for export. But that's good for our economy, and it's really good for – it's not just Texas. I mean, you're talking about a number of states. California is a major oil producer, North Dakota, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Well, Alaska – we we
0: keep talking about Alaska. We have a pipeline that goes into Alaska that's good for 2 million barrels a day, and we're only using it for 375
4: Well – I don't know what the, the problem is there, quite frankly, John. That's because I'm not in Congress anymore, and I don't know why that's, uh, we're not using it as much as we can. I just know I'm, uh, you know I'm uh, an officer and director of an uh, organization called the Council for a Secure America, and it was put together by uh, oil producers in the Southwest and some leading people in the Jewish community in the Northeast. It has two objectives, one, to enhance our support for Israel, and two, to enhance our own uh, domestic economy. And it's uh, it's good for our relationship. We're, uh, for, and Israel has bipartisan support in the United States, and uh, uh, you know, cutting the the Saudis down to size is helpful. And uh, uh, Israel also is producing some natural gas now, which is uh, available uh, to the Europeans. So uh, we, we're in
1: a, we're in a tough business. We yeah, got, got
0: one, Ed Ed. We have a minute left. What else do you want to say, Ed? It's the creativity
1: and innovation. People like Harold Hamm that created fracking or Noble Energy that found that gas off Israel that you referred to that Uh, now can go to Europe. North
0: America energy independent. Independent. Let's not depend on the Saudis. Let's not depend on the Russians. Let's not depend on Brazil. Venezuela. Let's not depend on Venezuela. Make North America independent. Are on the same side on this issue, and I'll tell you that
4: uh, uh, you know I'm a Democrat and I supported Biden. I think Biden made a very serious mistake during the campaign because uh, and he lost support among Hispanics in South Texas because he made made some statements that indicated he didn't want to uh, continue to have as much oil and gas produced in the United States as we have been. And a number of Hispanics in South Texas had very good jobs in the oil industry. They're driving fracking trucks, working on uh, rigs, and uh, that helped the Republicans uh, win some Hispanic votes in, uh, uh, down in the yep. Rio Grande Valley of Texas.
0: Martin, thank you very much for calling in from Texas, and uh, we're out of time, and we're going to have you on again. and And uh, Please do. Thank you so much. And what's our theme? Make North America energy independent. independent.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
3: Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis, Cats at Night Show. Now is, a, I know it's Wednesday, but it feels like a Tuesday because we have Professor Alan Dershowitz on. He's a leading constitutional attorney in the country, just a couple of day, decades at Harvard Law. He's also the leading voice in the world in support of Israel. And he has a great new book out, 50, your 50th book, correct, Professor?
5: Yep, 50th. I'm just finished 51. And uh, keep the, working, keep the, working. The
3: Price of Principle. Yep. Well,
0: you want to hook up Netanyahu on a conference call? What are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm going to see
5: him in the next couple of days, and I've been meeting with Israeli leaders and learning a lot about the new government, and uh, I like to come to Israel at least once a year to keep up with what's going on here. It's an exciting country, a country that does a lot of good for the world, and uh, you know, a country where everybody argues with each other, just like in the United States, so I feel very much at home here.
2: Alan, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I wanted to ask you, are you aware that the Biden administration has now upgraded the status of the Palestinian Authority in the State Department, creating a special office for them?
5: Yeah. What do you I, think I about that? that? Well, I don't mind that. I want to see the Palestinian Authority strengthened and Hamas weakened. And you know, the Palestinian Authority works closely with Israel on security, and there are efforts by Hamas to weaken it. So strengthening the Palestinian Authority, look, it's not going to make peace, but it will help the Israelis keep peace in the West Bank, not in the Gaza, obviously, where Hamas controls it. So I have no problem with upgrading Palestinians as long as it doesn't downgrade. Um, Israel or do anything yeah, but, to undercut.
2: But it's the authority, Alan, the authority still not repudiated the doctrine where they pay compensation for terrorists who cause Oh, there's havoc. no question.
5: It, so what pay about pay that? To slay, pay, it, it's a terrible thing, pay to slay. But, you know, you can't get the good without the bad sometimes. And look, Abbas is now in his fourteenth year or fifteenth year of his four year term. He was elected, you know, fourteen, fifteen years ago. He hasn't run for office. In in Israel, we've had the fifth election in the last four years and finally, uh Bibi to who I've known since he's twenty two, twenty three years old, uh, will be taking over. And, you know, he's a brilliant and uh very hardworking guy and uh, extremely talented. You can disagree with some of his policies, just like you disagree with the policies of any any leader. But he's a, he's been a great leader for Israel.
0: Yep. Uh, are we heading for a crisis with uh, Twitter, uh, with Apple threatening them, with Google threatening them? Uh, I mean, if, if, if Apple's taking a position, if you tell the truth, uh, we're going to uh, shut you down. We're going to shut you down.
5: Look, I think the greatest issue involving the First Amendment and free speech in the 21st century will be what relationship the government has to these giant, giant information purveyors when the First Amendment was written. You know, people like Madison and Hamilton and others had no idea that there was anything beyond the printing press which could print a few thousand copies of a newspaper. And now we have these mega giants. They're not regulated by the First Amendment. They're using the First Amendment as a way of censoring other people. There's this enormous competition, which is a good thing, between them. We see different rules in different countries. Uh, This is a work in progress, and we don't have the answer yet. This is going to be something that takes a long time to figure out, and there's no perfect solution. You don't want the government to come in and censor Twitter. On the other hand, who wants Twitter to be sending out these horrible, bigoted uh, messages? And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's very free speech is not free, and it's very, very complicated.
2: Well, the danger, of course, is that if you shut down Twitter, you're not going to have a countervailing voice against the left wing people who control the other tech giants.
5: And, and, And we need we need multiple voices because many on the left today don't believe in free speech. They're teaching college and university and even law school students. The First Amendment was written by slave owners. It was patriarchal. It's mm-hmm. a way of keeping white supremacy. And we don't need the First Amendment because we know the truth. We don't need due process because we know who's guilty and who's innocent. That's what's being taught today in many colleges and universities and even law schools. Look at the University of California at Berkeley. Fourteen clubs have now changed their charter to ban any speaker who's a Zionist, which means 90% of all Jews who go to the school. So I can't go and speak to a feminist group about abortion or the Supreme Court because I am a proud Zionist. And you know, that's what's going on. Free speech is dying on the vine in law schools and universities. Now the American Bar Association has said you can get into law school without taking the law school aptitude test.
3: So crazy. The, LSAT. the next
5: step is going to be you can become a surgeon. You can become a pilot without taking tests. Is it because we don't think lawyers are important, but uh, uh, others
0: are Aaron, our country uh, yeah. is under attack Yeah, no,
3: I agree. In many, many
0: directions, and people are not realizing it.
3: Uh, Professor Dershowitz.
5: That's what's so great about your show. It gives people like us an opportunity. We're Republicans, we're Democrats, we're liberals, conservatives. Your show has everybody, but we all agree on one thing. That is you need to have open, market-free speech. Let the people decide.
3: Professor Dershowitz, I know you have a hard out in a couple of minutes. Real quick question. Mayor Adams yesterday announced a mental health initiative in an effort to stop mm-hmm. this plague of homelessness and, um, you know, people with psychotic issues roaming the streets. He wants to commit them involuntarily to That's hospitals right. That's a great, uh, using
2: emergency he, workers. He's going to say emergency workers can take somebody in, even involuntarily, and have them committed for uh, for treatment. Number one, I think there's going to be lawsuits
5: There's no question. There's no question. The American Civil Liberties Union will be bringing lawsuits. Um, You know, I taught this for years, law and psychiatry. And and we had for years uh, commitment of the mentally ill. We had hundreds of thousands of people in mental hospitals. And then we let them all out without filtering out those who are psychotic and, and pose a danger. Now we're moving in the opposite direction. The pendulum is swinging. If this is handled well, If people are really given an opportunity to go into facilities that they want to go into, it could work. But just dragging them off the street and taking them to places that are not desirable is not going to work. So it it requires the allocation of resources. It requires getting good people, psychiatrists and mental health workers and social workers, working with these people, not just taking them out of view so they don't bother us. That won't work.
0: Well, Well, It's a,
2: well, it's a major—listen, the major problem, Alan, is the linkage between mental illness, drug addiction, homelessness, and criminal acts. And then we have to There's
5: get no this done. About that. By the way, it's not only in New York, in Tel Aviv. Now, I was shocked this time in this visit— I saw quite a few homeless people Lying on Rothschild Boulevard And, you know, I, I, I give them a dollar I give them a few shekels And some people complain No, no, you're just encouraging it But I can't stand seeing somebody An old person or a mentally ill person uh, Not having at least a couple of dollars to buy, to buy a piece of bread or a cup of coffee I mean, it just appeals to, to my, my emotions Maybe rationally it's not the right thing to do But emotionally I have no choice
0: and if they uh, raise the price too, too much on, uh, on the drugs on the street,
4: yeah. the,
2: problem problem, the
0: problem always is you give the money and what do they spend the money
2: on? Drugs. And this, that's the, that's the question. And money and on the and drugs.
5: It means nothing to me, and it could mean the difference between a meal and no meal for somebody else, so I'm not going to sit in judgment on them, but I understand these are complicated issues, and I think Adams is trying to do the He's right to, thing, but he has to do it in the right way. He has to do it in a way that ultimately ends the need for compulsion and says to people like that, look... Here's an option. You can go to a place, get a warm meal, a good bed, and you don't have to sleep on the street. That's the ultimate goal.
0: Anything else you want to tell the American people? I mean, uh, we got the problem with Twitter. Elon Musk, (coughs) we have the problem with with Elon's uh, argument with uh, Trump.
3: Right, and yep. according to Elon Musk, he says that Apple is connected, you know, they want to kick them off the platform, they've reduced their Twitter revenue, uh, the ad revenue by, by 30%, and now there are a lot of people in the GOP party saying, hey, if, they, if, Apple gets, uh, if Apple kicks off Twitter off the platform, they should be investigated by Congress, because they've essentially created a monopoly. Well, what do no you one, think, another sir? Another thing,
0: does Apple want to keep uh, China happy? mm Come on, guys. Well, now, how, uh, how much business does Apple do in China? And I'm an and Apple fan. Mu- yeah.
5: yeah. Now Musk is in a fight with Ukraine. Zelensky is complaining because Musk came up with a... Plan for peace, which would require the Ukrainians to give up some of their properties. So Zelensky has attacked him, and Musk has attacked him. Uh, you know, it, it, Musk is a very controversial character, and he has all the money in the world, and he has these satellites, and uh, he's a real player in the world today. And we have to come to grips with that. And and again, he's he's not all good, and he's not all bad. I like the idea. Of reducing censorship on Twitter, I, I think uh, I Elon, Musk is,
0: Elon Musk is Elon Musk is less bad. He's Santa Claus compared to what who, who was running Twitter. Yeah, yeah. No,
4: look.
0: look I agree. Just
2: remember, just remember this, because they suppressed the n- news on the Hunter Biden laptop that could have changed a lot of votes in the last presidential election, and they've admitted yeah, that it was think- the wrong thing to do.
5: Yeah, and it may in the next election. Look, people should have all the information, and should be able to vote based on full information, not selective information. And that's a real issue that we have today.
0: Understood.
3: Right. Elon Musk also tweeted out today that he believes that there was election interference as well under the right. previous administration. That he, had,
0: that he had proof of it.
3: Right, and he's planning on releasing that that there was a lot of interference.
0: Let's
6: see. Let's see what his proof is.
3: Mm-hmm. All
0: right, regards from Israel, everybody. Thank and, uh, you. God bless you. Go, go to sleep. It's uh, what time is it, Israel? 1.30 in the morning.
5: It's late. It's late. But uh, busy day. Busy day.
0: Good. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Uh, Ed Cox. Uh, I understand a friend of yours is coming on right after our next break. John Faso. John. Tell us an, about
1: it. An unsung hero of American politics. He was responsible in many ways for Pataki being elected governor. He. Did his first budgets? Pataki's first budgets: cutting spending, cutting taxes, which is unique in New York. Actually, it Very doesn't unique. happen often. Elected congressmen and. Uh what he was one of the volunteer leaders and really defeating the radical gerrymander that the Democrats and legislature tried to do to reduce Republicans to only four seats in Congress. And that the changed the 11 that we have now because of what John. And, Faso that, did.
2: and, and Ed, that will change the dynamic of who controls the House Representatives.
1: Absolutely. New York was responsible and John Faso was a leader doing it.
3: So, Hakeem Jeffries, what do you think? I remember when the redistricting oh God,
1: happened.
0: He played the, news. He got elected leader today. Leader, yes, but Democrat, he played right. the
1: race car. It's racist. The fact for that the we had more contested seats in for Congress than any other state, and he was saying, "Oh, this is racist," because his district was a little bit disturbed. Makes me wonder about what the Democrats are doing, making him their leader in the in the House of Representatives.
3: Well, he did say today well, that he wants to work with the GOP. He's
0: in
1: New Yorker. He is in New
0: York. Okay, and I'll me, you, and the judge, and Lydia live here. <laughs> <laughs> so between Schumer being a majority leader, or leader, or whatever you want to call him, and Hakeem Jeffries being leader, and they both live in New
3: York, well, one, guess what?
0: And they're both Brooklynites.
3: But one is Europe. in Harlem, right? No, no. no, no both both no, Brooklyn? No, Brooklyn? Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Brooklyn.
0: Brooklyn. Both. take a break. Both are Brooklyn. <laughs>
4: This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
3: Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show in studio with us. We have, of course, John Katz Matidis, and we have Ed Cox and Judge Weinberg, and myself, Lydia Serrani, on the line with us right now. Is John Faso, a guy Ed Cox knows very well. You both spearheaded efforts uh, to raise a war chest to fight the uh, the map in court. It was unfair. You guys won. You made it fair.
1: Uh, more than that, he wrote uh, op-ed pieces, Wall Street Journal, uh, Daily News. I got to tell you, he lined up all the all the editorial pages. For, uh, against this radical gerrymander that the Democrats attempted to do, stuff all the Republicans in four seats, and they would take the other 22. Well, it didn't work that way, did it, John?
6: No, it didn't, Ed. Uh, nice to be with you, and, and uh, great to be on with uh, with John and his co-host here tonight. Um, uh, I think uh, it really summed up, really, there were a lot of winners in this. More importantly, there were the people of New York were winners because back in fourteen. 2014, uh, the people adopted a constitutional amendment that said they didn't want politicians to be able to rig these districts and gerrymander them. So the politicians were picking their voters rather than the voters picking their politicians. And uh, what we wound up with, we fought this battle in court uh, and we wound wound up, wound up with a, a resounding victory. And who would have ever guessed that because of what we did here in New York, And because we had good candidates and because we had Lee Zeldin running a very strong campaign at the top of the ticket, um, we had we elected not four Republican congressmen in New York, but 11 out of 26. So uh, it was quite a shock to uh, the Democrats who thought they were going to be able to rig this political system with unfair districts. And look, I'm not one that's going to argue that only the Republicans have virtue in this regard. You can go to other states and you can see. Republicans gerrymandering you can see Democrats like in Illinois how they gerrymandered their districts but here in New York we had the Constitution on our side because the people put it there back in 2014 and and that's why we won this case uh so and I want to just thank Ed for all of his help and support and leadership in this because uh Ed was instrumental in in pulling together the the resources and the the team that we had to fight this thing uh uh,
1: legally, It was one heck of a team, wasn't it, John?
6: Yeah. It
2: John, we
1: needed every piece of it to make it work. John, it's Richard
2: Weinberg. I, again, I want to congratulate you on the work that you and Ed did in this regard. But the, one of the things that you had... On your side is you had an independent New York Court of Appeals, the highest court in the state, who did the right yep. thing by looking at the constitutional amendment and looking at the whole history of the conduct, and they voted the, right, they voted the right way. Unfortunately, because of political pressures, the chief judge was forced to resign. We now have Governor Hochul, who has a list of seven nominees, is about to push, be pushed by the progressives to make— a progressive, the chief judge of the state, which troubles me deeply, not only about redistricting, but about all kinds of decisions that the uh, the far left legislature is pushing. What do you say about that?
6: Well, I think uh, Judge Weinberg, it is it is right to be concerned about it, and the the nominees that were put forth, the the governor has within a certain period of time uh, to select among seven nominees that were put forth, and. I don't know uh, the reputation of all seven, but I've been told by folks that do that generally speaking, most of these folks are pretty much in the mainstream of legal thinking. There may be some that uh, a couple that uh, may be more further to the left. Uh, You certainly probably don't have any real conservatives on there. But I think what what I'm hopeful for is that uh, the governor will pick someone who is Uh, reasonable, who is moderate in their temperament, who understands uh, that we don't all think the same way in New York State, but most importantly, that our Constitution and our laws have to be interpreted by the courts and not the courts writing new laws or or imagining new principles in, in our state constitution. And there is some concern that uh, these uh, – if, if the if the governor picks the wrong person, uh, that they Does might – Does the governor have to, to pick one of those
0: seven, or he can, she can go yeah. on her own? Uh, one of the seven. He has to pick one of those seven. Wow. That's right. Tell yeah. us about those seven. Have you seen the names?
6: Yes, I have. And uh, – um, Any, any of them
0: uh, honest
6: and decent? Well, and- I think – I think actually in the main, I I think that the reputations of all of them are pretty good. And, um, you know, so and I've also heard that, uh, you know, the commission didn't include uh, some people that would have really caused great concern to me and and Ed and uh, Judge Weinberg and others. So I think I'm hopeful. I have my fingers crossed. I'm, I'm someone who sees the glass half full, John, all the time. So I'm hopeful that the governor uh, makes a good choice here, but I think that um, uh, among the seven, we don't have any, any really, uh, uh, Far left people on but that. But as, as Judge, uh, we-
1: as what Judge Weinberg was putting out there, uh, was saying, there's tremendous political pressure applied here, such that the not too conservative county bar association objected to that kind of pressure on the commission of judicial nomination that pr- that vetted those 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 seven. And there's going to be the same pressure on Governor Hochul to protect uh, to uh, to accommodate uh, uh, appoint- their wishes. Yeah, exactly. Right. So is it
3: possible that this could get overturned, the redistricting that you guys work so hard for?
1: Uh, That is. Well, well, go ahead, John.
3: I I mean, that's certainly a concern. uh, uh, But at
6: at this stage and the Democrats have tried uh, with litigation they brought after the Court of Appeals decision, they've tried to uh, overturn the case by. Being cute, saying, well, that that those new districts were only in effect for 22, that we could have new districts in 24 for the rest of the decade if the independent commission now reconstitutes itself. I mean, doesn't
0: that that smell? I mean, I mean, we went through this whole thing and the only reason it went to the courts and the courts voted because they were honest. And they read the laws, and they did the, the honest thing to do. Judge Weinberg, you agree? I agree. And then, uh, my opinion is they 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 put the pressure. The Democrats were so upset, they put the pressure on who? Oh, John T. Fiori, the chief judge. Of the State. chief judge. They pushed her off the court. They pushed her off the court to get one
1: of their own in there. John, you tell it like it is. Once again, that's what you know. Happened.
3: What the Democrats are there.
1: They're
0: full of crap. There you go. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> you know, look, I, I, want, I want everybody to have an honest vote, and I want everybody, you know, I want the American people to know, and New Yorkers to know that one vote, one person.
1: That's and, right. Uh, and everybody wants honesty, and that's bottom line. The, the bottom line is we now have more competitive districts than any other major state. Uh, yeah, we had a good year. We had good candidates, so we got 11 seats this time. Well, let me tell you, those— those elected well, the co-
0: members of Congress if they, if they have to cook, work hard. If they cook the books in Albany, they're going to be one-term Congress people. That's the problem. That, Wasn't
3: one that. of the congressional seats like a part of Bronx, and then this? Five, it was like five counties. counties. Five counties. <laughs> five. Remember that? Five,
0: oh, I remember yeah. it vividly. Five right. counties. Right. We got to move on, guys. Uh, All right. Thank you, John Faso, and thank you. You and Ed Cox did a great job, and uh, uh, and let's hope it holds. And there's no more. Uh, uh, shenanigans. Shenanigans. That's Thank it. you for the word, Judge. You're That's welcome. That's Any time. Thank you Thanks so, so much. much.
4: Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
3: Welcome back to the John Katzmatitti's Cats at Night show. We have in studio with us, of course, John Katzmatitti, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox. On the line with us right now, we have Michael Stoller. He is the president of New York Real Estate TV, a management consulting services firm building New York. Life stories and New York business report with Michael Stoller. He's the founder and president of the Princeton Commercial Corporation. And I could go on and on about all your achievements. Welcome to Cats at Night, Michael well, Stoller. There's
0: one knowledgeable uh, real estate guy and, and Michael Stoller, John Katzmatitti TD's here, and and yesterday we had uh, Frank Ronan, on, the chief of staff of the mayors, and I said to I said to Frank, why would anybody build right now in New York? There's no tax incentives by the state. Mm-hmm. There's crime up to the zoo and not getting better, and uh, the construction loans are up to eight nine percent. If you can
7: get a construction loan, John. That's the that's the question. So I mean, tell
0: us what's going on, Mike.
7: Basically, we're in shutdown phase. New develop a developer cannot go out there today to build a new. And if they got the loan a number of months ago, they were the luckiest guy in town. You know, they they utilize something called Stoffer, which is called secured overnight financing, which is currently three point eight zero. Do you have any idea what it was a year ago?
0: Uh, how much? Oh, well. So let me let me we, tell you something. The last construction loan I did in New York, and we built some beautiful buildings. We paid three three and a half percent interest. Mm-hmm. We're about to close a new construction loan next week, and we're going to pay a lot more, more than double.
7: Look, uh, I've, I I keep in touch with all the banks, and some of them have sent out internal memos, basically saying. The doors are closed unless you're an establishment like a John Kessler Matitas or someone else who's been doing business in a specific market. There's no loans. They've said even for established clients, they don't want to do do loans because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, let's take, for example, if you had a property right now that has to be refinanced and you originally had a loan at one and a half, two, 2% on that, that loan. That loan would be 7%. First of all, it's difficult for getting the financing. The second of all, you can't afford to pay that type of because when you underwrote the loan at the original time, you predicated on what 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 you project would be three to five years. And no one projected a rate from half a percent to 4%. That's, and that's the base. Okay, that's the base rate. Then there's additional, is what you're saying, could go to 7%. So it's, it's very difficult. The other difficulty, which one must bring up that you brought up before, is the 421-8 benefits. There's no tax advantages to build in New York. Okay, what are you going to do? Are uh, you going to pay 30% of your rent for taxes, taxes, insurance, all of these areas over there? And I, I think one of the major areas that you and I have spoken over the years many, many times is about safety and security. And unless you have safety and security, you're not going to see either the banks or the developers doing, over, doing financing on the market. But I think the biggest problem today is someone who has a loan coming due and doesn't have the capability or the financial wherewithal to take care of this loan if he can get he or she could get the loan. I think
0: some of the banks have been told, Michael, to, to to do renewals on current clients. They don't want to put people out of business. But they—they're going to have to pay the price.
7: No, the renewal is on current on current clients, as you say. Yes, current okay. clients
0: and current bu- and current uh, refinancings versus uh, if you're trying to buy a new building, how do you say? Forget about it. Mm. And, and I had it, Michael.
7: Look, the, inve- the investment salespeople have been on my shows, and they've said to me, "Look, there's no there's no money out there." Okay. Many of the banks, you know, there have been mergers over the couple uh, the past year. There have been changes. Many of them are trying to understand what type of loans they have in their portfolio even. Uh, forget about is the a statement. Uh, it's a difficult time. And many of the investment sales brokers who have been trying to sell property are basically saying, I have nothing to sell because I can't afford to refinance at these higher rates. Uh, so the, the rate, the financing that's available is there maybe for a year, okay? Hopefully that the world will change within a year. But I am i don't have, you know, I'm, I'm not the amazing Christian uh, with my crystal ball to say what the rates are going to be.
2: Michael, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I, I had a meeting yesterday with one of the leading members of the state assembly. And what that member told me was there is no will in Albany to do any kind of extension on 421A. And if they don't have 421A benefits or some sort of package for benefits, it's going to be a real problem by encouraging people to build.
3: So the re- regular person, what's a 421A? Look,
1: uh, Your Honor, isn't the problem here, Michael, uh, isn't the problem that taxes are so high here you need a tax break in order to build anything? No. I mean, the logical thing is let's I cut know. the taxes. You need, you
0: need tax breaks. You need safety. incentives. You need a, uh, uh you, and, you know and you know who's uh, suffering the most uh, my friend my friend Arthur just texted me it says the affordable housing market is completely shut down because how can you put out affordable housing if, the, the, if you're uh, paying seven eight percent interest
7: the irony is the affordable housing market is open in New York City because of the government Bonds that they've already underwritten. All of this has been underwritten in the past. People who have 421As who who have the approvals can build, but otherwise you can't you can't build. And one another area which I think you brought up many times on your shows is you know many years ago when Rudy Giuliani was running and he created something called the 421G that enhanced. The conversion of office buildings to residential buildings in Lower Manhattan. It was a great tax incentive pro program. It really did something. So when I talk to people today and I say, "Do you want to convert your Class B, your Class C and D office building, which could be seventy to a hundred years of age?" They say, "Unless I get a tax advantage, what am I going to do? Do do for do it for? It's not the over there." So the combination that we don't have any information in the legislature. For future projects, and also to take care of these other buildings, we're just sitting with these vacant buildings on side streets. That you know, as they would say, "Who's the king? The landlord is is no longer the king. The tenant is the king." What's
1: going What's going to happen in the real estate market? Commercial real estate market. People are not going to be coming to their offices the way they did. Uh, young people, people want to work from home rather than that. There's space is not convenient. As the leases come up, what happens to commercial space?
7: Oh, commercial space is dying. Okay. You know, people say the Hudson Yards over there. Even, even the people who sign these major leases, the Hudson Yards aren't moving in over there. Uh, so that's why they're giving back space. Uh, that's why, for specifics, uh, the Moynihan Organization and Boston Properties, who has a great location in Hudson Yards, they haven't started building. There's, there's a limited demand. There's going to be.
0: Uh, there's going to be. Uh, even the, those are the people that think they have. Uh, some people I know have loans coming um, from hedge funds. Forget about it. They're going to be. They're going have the. What do you call the squeeze play? Mm.
7: The, the the private equity funds and the hedge funds basically right now are hoping, you know, the courts are gonna allow them to foreclose on these properties. As they used to say, loan to own. These people lent the money with the awareness that they, they could and they want to own, loan to own.
0: That's right. It, it did. They yeah, did that think, they did that to the Friars Club. No no pun intended. OK, thank you so much, Michael okay. Stoller, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon and uh, I'll talk to you in a couple of days. Thank you.
7: OK, take care. Thanks for having me. Jonathan. Thank you.
3: And now we have our resident medical genius, our Renaissance man, Dr. Peter Mikolos, with some breaking news regarding an Alzheimer's drug. Do we should we hit the breaking news? This is a big breaking
1: yeah. news. W.A.B.C.
3: Tell us all about it, Dr. Mikolos.
8: Well, first of all, I have to start by saying Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia. And what happens is, is there's a buildup of these proteins called amyloid plaques. And basically, they plug up all the wiring in our brains. And normally, we have these cleanup crew cells called microglia, and they clean up the cells. So the question, uh, the, 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 the holy grail has been for Alzheimer's researchers, how do we find a medicine that can break down and start cleaning up some of these amyloid plaques that are plugging up the thinking process and the wiring in our brain. And today it was announced uh, Biogen had a drug called le- lecanemab, and uh, they studied 1,800 people, and they found that there was a 27% reduction in the Alzheimer's symptoms, which is a very big deal because they've been thinking that These amyloid plaques are a problem, but nobody's been able to figure out a way to melt them. So these people go for an IV treatment once every two weeks for 18 months, and uh, it was able to uh, give people somewhat of an improvement by reducing these plaques that are normally uh, cleaned up. So think of it as the garbage disposal system in the brain that's supposed to clean up the waste product materials. It's not working right. So how do we help clean up some of these things? And this new drug appears to be helping those people and uh, a lot of other things that uh, people now know that uh, one third of people over age 85 will get this Alzheimer's condition. And if you're over 65, every five years, your risk basically doubles. We now know some of the risk factors.
0: If you're over 65 and you're in in a socialist country, what happens?
8: Well, uh part of the problem is also access to good food, uh things like uh, Mediterranean. If you're in a socialist country, you're not getting this medicine. Mm-hmm. So uh but things like uh high alcohol consumption, uh low cognitive uh exercising, that's why they tell people to do crossword puzzles, engage your brain, keep listening to WABC so you think constantly. And uh, avoid things like uh, you know control blood, high blood pressure. They've shown a definite association with high blood pressure because when your blood pressure goes up, the tiny vessels that feed our brain and our heart clamp down and get narrower, and they don't get as many nutrients. But also narrow vessels, you probably don't clean up and dispose of toxins and other things. So high blood pressure turns out to be one of the biggest risk factors. And also now we've identified a gene. You can get genetic testing, and if you have this ApoE4 gene. They've shown that that's a a problem. And uh, getting back to that study, it was in the New England Journal of Medicine. So this is like a real deal uh, publication and a real study.
1: Dr. Miklos, you know, I was a venture capital lawyer and and I have followed a lot of this stuff. There have been a lot of announcements that, gee, we've got the solution to Alzheimer's. And they never seem to quite pan out. Uh, They don't get commercialized. this
8: This is not a solution. All this does is it slows it down. But what happens is they're also very careful to say, if you do give this drug in the early phases, the problem is once all these proteins build up and a ton of these toxic proteins surround your nerve endings, it's too late. It's like a a cardiac uh, plaque. When you get plaque in your heart, once it builds up really bad, you're going to end up needing a bypass or stents. But if you can preemptively slow down the buildup of plaque in your arteries, that's why people take statins. That's why people take uh, shots like Rapatha and, and medicines that are these uh, PSK9 inhibitors that can block the buildup. So everything is about catching things in the early phase. So they're very careful to say that this will probably have the most benefit when people have the earliest symptoms. Again, once it's advanced, just like heart disease, it's not going to really help. Just like the Rapatha, the cholesterol medicine, which is very expensive and you can't even get it in a socialist country, it actually can reverse blockages in the heart. So the same thing here, if we can start reversing and cleaning up some of these plaques occurring in the brain early on, we might be able to slow the progression. And I agree with you, a lot of these announcements haven't been great. And there's other exciting news where they're talking about even making vaccines against amyloid plaque and there's companies that are working on that in the United States and in, in uh, Canada. And the other thing I want to quickly talk about is the shortages we're experiencing nationally, In antibiotics and uh, various medicines, including Tamiflu for the flu, and uh, we have our supply chain issues. And uh, I think that we need another Operation Warp Speed to start incentivizing manufacturers. Every time we talk about price controls in uh, medicines, guess what happens? Those result in shortages in history. So we have to be very careful and be supportive of industry and the capitalistic. Uh, We're talking about one
3: hundred twenty three out of one hundred eighty four listed drugs, according to the FDA, are experiencing some kind of shortage.
8: Wow. That's why yeah. people go to Mexico and Canada. I have many That's patients who tell me they take trips once a year to buy all their medicines abroad. It's Kind of sad. The ABC for the latest news on new
0: medical developments. We have a lot of breaking news, and and thank you, Doctor. And where do we stand for truth, truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way? God American bless way. America.
4: It's Cats at Night on the
8: Red Apple Podcast Network.